And uh, you can't kill yourself. You told me you can't. You told me you don't have the guts to do it. So you're not doing that. We all know you're not doing that. And I was like, no. And I was like, why is he talking to me like this? This is terrible, you know? I'm so depressed. And he goes, well, have you ever thought about this? He's like, maybe. Maybe there is no doctor. Maybe this is your life. Or maybe Tommy's love will heal you. What if Tommy's love will heal you? Why don't you try that? You haven't tried that before. Why don't you let it in? And maybe it will heal you. And it just clicked. It, it, I rolodexed to the guy that told me I had no benevolence. I rolodexed to the girl who people were just like, geez, like I was so just, I, I, this message was coming to me, like let love in, let it in. Like your parents were trying to give it to you. Your brother tried to give it to you. You ran from it. This beautiful person who's accepted everything, you're attracted to him. He loves you. He thinks you're the strongest girl in the world. He told me that a million times, is trying to love you. And you're like, oh, we're going to break up. We're going to break up. We're going to break up. And he would say, like, stop saying that. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, don't manifest that. And I was like, oh, he doesn't know. He thinks he's this strong, but he cannot handle this. And so Joe clicked. It clicked. It clicked. And I decided at that point when he said that to me, that every hug that I was ever going to get from Tommy was going to be like, like just absorb. I was going to take it in and be like, just mainline the love. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to reject it. And I, I did it like it was a practice. I did it like a coach told me you have to take the supplement. It's disgusting. It tastes bad, but you have to do it. It's good for you. And I said, okay, this is a practice now. That was Marianne Likas, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Hey, everyone, I'm Jess, your host, and this is episode 83 of the YTP, as well as part two of our conversation with Ms. Marianne Likas. Last week, we left Marianne in Greece after having just made a character-defining decision, fighting a gnarly staph infection just weeks out from the Olympic Games, her body completely torn down from her extreme dieting and training, left her one hope for Olympic glory, and that was to take performance-enhancing drugs. In a moment of divine clarity, she realized that it was in fact her ego and not her heart that was pushing her to the start line. So thankfully, oh my goodness, we are so thankful that she chose to walk away and return home to the States. This leads us to where we begin today's conversation. Back in La Jolla, California, Marianne begins her new life. And that new life is in air quotes, because as many of us know, you can move across the world or the country, but you cannot move away from yourself and especially not your unhealthy tendencies. BJ and I know this fact intimately as we ran into it quite quickly on our Ride the High Vibe tour last year. If you don't know about our tour, go back and listen to episode one of this podcast. In short, after ridding ourselves of most of our material possessions, selling our dream home, and moving our entire life into our Honda Fit in prep for life on the road, it became evident almost immediately that the one thing we didn't get rid of was ourselves. More specifically, our mental stowaways, our shadow selves, our baggage, our imbalances, in fact, it's been my experience that change shines a spotlight on these things and brings them out even more. If we are cued in and we have mindfulness tools of healing, which thankfully BJ and I do, we can step up to those imbalances and we can heal them. If we don't, 
if we continue to live within them, pushing through, using drugs, alcohol, exercise, food, all just to endure our life, those imbalances and the underlying lessons that we are here to learn will continue to get stronger until we listen. And for most, that includes at least one real good rock bottom hit. For Marianne, it was more than one. And each time the darkness grew while the light fought so hard to come out. Soon after returning home, her obsession for fitness morphed into what she calls Operation Atrophy. She was on a mission to rid herself of her Olympic bulk, so again, extreme dieting came in as a means to control her body, and while she was still swimming and running, her distaste for the bike was replaced with Bikram yoga. Spending more and more time in the studio, taking multiple classes a day, led to teaching and immersing herself in what Marianne calls the advanced ego moves of the physical practice. Her lack of balance in life, body, mind, and spirit grew deeper and deeper until one day her world halted as she sustained a very rare injury that set her afloat on an eight-year journey to regain her health. During these years, she led a secret life. She planned her suicide. She tried to let others in. She shut them out. She found hope and lost it and oftentimes considered her situation one of complete doom. She was a woman who didn't believe she was worthy of love from anyone, especially herself. Despite all the signs that were coming into her life for her to open up and receive. For years, decades, she was aware of her lack of love for herself and the divine moments that we saw in part one continued until finally something clicked. Marianne's ultimate lesson of learning to love herself is one that we can all learn from. We live in a society that is steeped in unworthiness, lack, ego, comparison, and non-compassion. There are many moments in this conversation where the hair stands up on the back of my neck. To think of the daily doom this beautiful soul endured is hard to digest, but there is something very important to glean from Marianne's life, and that is if we do not show up to the themes that are reoccurring in our life, they will continue to take us down a road of imbalance until we are exhausted and broken. For some, it will take a similar level of doom, but my hope is that if you are in the doom, this podcast will assist you in waking up and allow you to embrace the vulnerability that it takes to heal. We are all right by your side. The YT community is one of strength, love, and support. We are a tribe of badasses who understand that vulnerability is the gateway to true power. And the more we can soften into it, the better the world will be for it. There is no effort on this path that is a waste. There is no effort on the path to realizing our true selves that is a waste. And through this realization, we are able to step into our most elite performances as athletes and humans. You guys are amazing. Marianne and Tommy rock. We are so fired up to be the stewards of such a groundbreaking movement in sport and life. And we are in deep, deep thanks of your support. We are Yogi Triathlete Holistic Performance, Triathlon and Run Training, Plant-Based Nutrition Education and Coaching, Yoga, Mindfulness, and oh, hell yeah, Meditation. Our team of athletes is growing. We still have spots available. So if you are thinking about joining us, 
shoot over an email and let's get the conversation started. If you are digging this show, we encourage you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts because every person that leaves a review between now and the end of the year will be entered into our December giveaway, which happens to be a two times you transition bag engineered for superior durability. Beach is rocking one of these bags as of late, and he is loving the generous pockets and the waterproof bottom pouch for his nasty post-race shoes and wetsuit. Marianne gives us many reasons to leave a review this month, so step into your support of the show. And without further ado, let's get on to the doom so that we may move into the light with one of the toughest humans on this planet, Marianne Likas. Come back to La Jolla, and my friends were, they totally understood, they loved it, they didn't care, but they, I still swam, I still ran, but I had no bikes and I didn't, I didn't want a bike. So I was swimming and running and teaching yoga at Bikram in La Jolla. Well, first I started working the desk there, and Bikram Yoga in La Jolla, and at one point there was just this influx, or not influx, there's a couple of teachers that weren't great, te- they were just, they had stuff going on in their life. And they didn't show up for a 6 a.m. class, and I was working the desk. And the owner of the Bikram Yoga Studio, I wasn't Bikram trained, and she, but I had done so much Bikram. She goes, oh, my God, my 6 a.m. teacher just canceled. You need to teach it. And so I was like, okay. I wasn't sh- I'm not a shy person. And I was like, I'll teach it. Don't worry. And the 6 a.m.ers are everybody I knew. I had been working there, signing them in. They knew me. So I was like, oh, cool. Let's just do it. So I taught, and they loved it. And then I just started teaching. I taught yoga for her for almost four years, Bikram yoga, without going to Bikram training. And trust me, in the Bikram world, that was not well accepted. But she was like, I don't care. You're great. You, you know the dialogue. You, people love your teaching. I have a kinesis background. I was a trainer. So I knew how to work with people's bodies and express how to do uh, physical movement. Mm-hmm. So that lasted for a long time. But what happened was psychologically, as I came back, and I was huge. I was physically huge. I was, I had no breasts. I had no mammary glands. I was Michael Phelps, but a female. I mean, I had swimmer shoulders. I had a male swimmer chest. I looked ripped. And literally the only guys that would talk to me were dudes that were like, how much protein do you take in? You know, like muscle heads. That's who loved me. And I noticed it and I was like, oh God, how do I reintegrate into this society and be tiny and cute and feminine and even get a boyfriend? And I was Especially like, in those Bikram classes where they're wearing the teeny itty bitty little oh, yeah. shorts. It's, it, it really is. Yeah. Like, and in La Jolla, like, you know, I was like 30 something, maybe I was 30 at this point or 28. And there's like 50 year old women that are rocking and looking mm-hmm. ripped and lean and gorgeous. And I was like, oh my God. And so I realized Bikram yoga makes you lean and sleek. And I was doing, I think I was doing either teaching the 6 a.m. class, going on a run and a swim, coming back and doing the 4.30 and 6.30, doing those classes. So I was, I was in that hot room all day. Then I met some girls and I started doing advanced Bikram yoga. We'd go on lockdown when the studio didn't have classes in the middle of the day. And we do the advanced series. And I started learning all the cool postures, all the contortion postures. But mind you, I was still running and I was still swimming and doing Bikram. And so how did I make money? I had a few clients, La Jolla clients, and I was just really 
living probably off of like $70 a day or 80 maybe, you know, nothing even major. And doing tons of yoga and hanging out with my girl, my other yoga girlfriends that were teaching me super cool ego moves, all the like, all the hand poses, because those are the cool ones. And what we would do before a class, because a Bikram class, you know, is the same. So you don't get to do those advanced postures in class. So I would do them before class because I needed to get my advanced postures in or it wasn't a complete workout. And so one day I had gone on this like 12 mile run. It was funny because it was a six mile run with someone else and a six mile, like a friend called me. I was like, hey, you want to run? And I was like, yeah. And these were both SEALs actually. And those were all my training partners was, were Navy SEALs in Coronado. And they're like, hey, you want to run? And I was like, yeah. And then the next one called me not knowing I had ran with the other one. He's like, you want to run? And I was like, yeah, I'm actually down here in Coronado. I'll run. And so I did like a 12 mile run that day. And then I had to teach like the 4.30 class. And I was like, oh shit, I got to get back to La Jolla. Shimmy back to La Jolla. I'm turning on the humidifiers. The doors aren't open yet for people to come in. And I was like, oh, let me just do some advanced postures before class comes in because I'm going to teach and I'm not going to get to get my workout in or my advanced postures. Because 12 mile run with two Navy SEALs is clearly... And no, probably no food. Clearly no. not enough. Yeah, and probably hadn't eaten. Maybe had some orange juice that day. So just because I knew I was going to do... I was going to be in the hot room and eating a full meal and being And you're also room. on Operation Lean Out. Yeah, Operation Lean Out Atrophy. We call it Operation Atrophy. <laughs> so basically, I... Um, go into, and I don't know if the podcasters know full dancer or if you want me to explain it, but you stand on one foot, you, you kind of, it's almost like looking like you're going to do a quad stretch. You grab your ankle, but you pull your leg up. You see ice skaters doing it. You see gymnasts doing it. You pull your leg up, you grab your, your foot and you pull the arch of your foot, the bottom of your foot to touch your head. So it's called full dancer. And in that pose at, you know, 4 PM class started at 4 30 I felt this hot, like 115 degrees zing through my back. And it was like, zing. and I was like, oh shit, I just tore a muscle in my back. I'm not going to, literally the first thoughts were, how am I going to run? How am I going to swim? How am I going to do yoga? I'm going to get fat. Oh my God, I'm going to get fat. I'm going to feel gross. I'm going to be moody. This is all I cared about was the dopamine, how to get my endorphin buzz every day. And I was so fearful of an injury. And now I'm like, shit, I probably tore a muscle. Oh, nothing. I felt that was it. It lasted for 10 seconds and that was it. And I was like, what? I thought I was going to be floored. And I taught class and I was fine. I told nobody because my friends would be like, oh, Jesus, Lucas, like, are you kidding me? So I told nobody. I was like, no one needs to know. It's not an injury. So go about my day. I go have dinner, my normal dinner. And the next morning, I don't, every day morning I go to the bathroom like clockwork like I eliminate my stool like clockwork it was always 6 a.m. I eliminated no problem like if you're my roommate you did you were not in the bathroom at 6 a.m. it was mine and day one day one after the injury I don't go to the bathroom and I'm like that's weird and I had had like dinner at Rimmel's I remember I was like maybe I had some bad raw fish like maybe it's a parasite whatever I'll probably go to the bathroom later, but this is inconvenient. I was like, cause I always go. And then you feel light for the rest of the day. Day two, I don't go to the bathroom and I'm like really weirded out. And my roommates weirded out cause I was, you the know. 6am slot was open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody coveted my bowels. Even when I was a triathlete, they were like, what? Like that is not fair. 
day three, I don't go to the bathroom. So it's three days of like huge salads at night. I mean, I'm talking like tabbouleh at Marketplace Grill over there and like Rimmel's big salads with sushi in them. Like I, I didn't poop for three days. And so day three, I'm in yoga and I'm doing the locust pose and I let out some gas. And I was like, oh, if the locust pose can help me poop, poop or get let out gas or shim, like shimmied on my colon, maybe I just need to compress my colon. If something's going on, why can't I poop? So I was like, this is really weird. So I was like, how do I do locust? So I went home and I did locust pose and I was hoping poop would get to my rectum. Sorry. This is the point where if the viewers cannot handle the talk of stool. That's okay. They should probably, you know, turn it off now. Because from here on out, it's all about poo. Yeah, everybody poops. There's like a book written called Everybody Poops. I think it's Maybe we'll link kids. to that in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> so I decide that, well, well, on top of it, I should also say my roommate worked at an old folks home in, in PB and she, a senior citizen home, I should say. And she's like, oh, we give old people enemas when they can't poop. I'll give you an enema. And she's like super cute, like looks like Bo Derek. She's like, lay down fetal position and I'll give you an enema. And she gives me an enema and the water doesn't come out. Nothing comes out. And I was like, where did it go? And she's like, well, maybe you're dehydrated from Bikram. Maybe your body just absorbed it. And I was in so much pain. I was in tons of abdominal pain. I hadn't pooped for three days. And then the yoga studio teacher was like, oh, you have colon cancer. You have colon cancer. You have, cause she had colon cancer. All right. She couldn't poop. And they found like a softball size tumor in her rectum. And she's like, you need to get scoped. So I was like, okay, I go get scoped. And she's, they're like, your colon's beautiful. There's nothing wrong with you. You're crazy. Go home and eat more fiber. And I was like, eat more fiber. I was like, I had like, I've had like, there's a lot of rimal salads in here. And so... I was in so much pain. I was like, I need to figure out how to poop. And I remembered that locust pose had felt like it had moved some stool. And for your viewers to understand what locust or listeners to understand what locust pose is, you lay on your tummy and your elbows are underneath you like a volleyball player. And your elbows are compressing into your abdomen. And those nodules of your elbows are kind of pressing into your abdomen. I'm a pretty tiny person, so there's not a lot of fat to go through to get to press on your colon and it kind of shimmied stuff I could feel stuff wanting to go and I was like oh my god I just need to simulate this how do I simulate this so I realized that a 10 pound dumbbell like one that you lift weights with is very similar to two elbows underneath your abdomen it could it could I could recreate my elbows but somehow put more pressure maybe I can get my stool to my rectum and get it to come out and so I started, I put a 10 pound dumbbell on the ground and I kind of laid on it. I had all my clothes on at this point and it was working. I was like getting my stool to go from point A to point B. So if you know, if any doctors are listening, there's, there's ascending colon, transverse colon and descending and then rectum. And I was getting it somewhere around where my ascending to hepatic flexure is. It's on the right side by your rib cage. And that's where it was always stuck. And I was like, if I can just shimmy the dumbbell under my rib cage and start pushing the stool towards my transverse and then continue to find where it is and then manipulate the dumbbell to push it towards my rectum. So very, the way I can best describe it is 
Have you ever lost a string in your sweatshirt and you yes. have to maneuver it through? That's what I had to do with my poop on a dumbbell on the bathroom floor. So I realized that the stool was getting there, but I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do here? Hopefully when it gets to my rectum, I stand up like a surfer and I can bear down and poop in the toilet. And I, it was there and I couldn't. I couldn't bear down and poop in the toilet. And I was like, this is crazy. So I took off all my clothes, everything, and I laid on that dumbbell. And a lot, of, a lot of people don't know this. Like a lot of San Diego friends are probably listening to this. And they knew I did something in the bath. So let me pause here before I go into this. A lot of people in San Diego knew I had colon issues, but they didn't know what. And it was better for them to think that I had, I had Crohn's or colitis and I was just having diarrhea bouts. I would rather have everybody think that that was the problem versus telling someone why I, what I'm about to tell you. So I'm laying on the dumbbell and I had to get this poop out and I couldn't bear down on the toilet to get it out. And so I had to press it out to completion in a laying down, I'm laying down on my abdomen. So that poop is not dropping vertically into a toilet. It is plop, it is, it is coming out of your rectum and going all over the floor and all over your pelvic floor and underneath you in your pelvic girdle, mid, upper mid, high thigh, I should say, and it's all over the floor and all over me, but at least I got it out. And so now we're talking towels and toilet paper and bleach and, I'm, and then I'm standing up and it's all over me and I'm, yeah, I'm picking it up with toilet paper and throwing it in to the toilet and bleach and spritz and you name it. I mean, I can tell you. And then that's what it was. That's what it became. My every day became that exact thing. And it took four, six, eight hours sometimes to do this. Mind you, I didn't give up. I was going and getting scoped and colonoscopies and finding doctors. And I was in the gastro world. I was going to every gastro that anybody recommended. And I had no medical benefits at the time because I had just come back and I had no job. I was teach I was paying out of pocket to go to these doctors so I was getting client money and paying for a colonoscopy which was like five grand so I would have to save up to get these colonoscopies and so no one was finding anything and then I was going to healers I was doing cleanses I was getting I was doing oh my god four months of of someone telling me I had leaky gut syndrome I was doing Western and Eastern medicine. There was never a week that went by where I wasn't seeing a doctor, but every day still doing that dumbbell. And did anybody at this time know that you were doing the dumbbell? My roommate. But none of the doctors, none of the oh, healers? Yeah. Yes. Oh, they yes. all knew that? Yes. Oh, yeah. That okay. was, I always disclosed that. Because, and I always disclosed my injury to them. I said, look, I was pooping up until I did this. This is the only thing that was different. I did, and I would show them, I did full dancer and this happened and then that was it. I didn't poop again. And they would just scratch their heads and go, huh, yeah, no. And they would try to give me a laxative and the laxatives didn't work. If they did work, it was really gross. I mean, they would, they would turn my poop into liquid and then I would do the dumbbell and I'm not kidding you. It would, it would, let's just say I, I had a bathroom that was perfect for this. It would. I would lay on the floor and it would, uh, it would, 
when they gave me laxatives, it would squirt all over the walls, like all over the walls, all over everything. Like, like if some kid came in there with a squirt gun of poo. And it surprises me that no, nobody would think that it was like a, a neural thing, like a connectivity thing. So like something wasn't connecting. I, I never found anyone that would say that gastros kept just wanting to scope me to find Crohn's colitis polyps diverticulitis, fibroid, mm. cancer. They're just practicing. I was, ho- I was wishing. Yeah, yeah, I was wishing. I was like, God, after every colonoscopy, when they would come back and tell me I didn't have Crohn's or colitis or diverticulitis or a huge tumor, I was bummed. I would rather hear that I had a tumor. And so um, this went on forever. I led a secret, secret life. I mean, this went on for... Several years. And I was, you know, I was telling Tommy, how do I describe who I was? I was, I was in that bathroom at 6 a.m. doing the dumbbell. I would eliminate all over the floor, clean it up. And I had a system now. By now I knew what to do. And um, then I would just go, I'd get out of that bathroom and I would, no one knew. I was getting skinnier and skinnier and skinnier. I dropped so much weight because food meant volume. So I started eating less. I was like, okay, if I eat this, that means tomorrow I got to get it out on the dumbbell and that's more work. So I started eating. So this happened in 2007, eight-ish. By 2010, I was eating two bowls of white Uncle Ben's rice a day. That's it. With a little tahini and olive oil in it. And that was all I would eat because that seemed to come out easily. And that was it. I was ripped. I was lean. I looked great. I would pretend that I was great. Um, I would date guys that thought I was the greatest, like this lean athlete that does tons of yoga, but little did they know, you know, they would only see me like no one knew from six to about 3 PM what I was doing. So who were you when you were alone? Oh, wow. (laughs) At first I was scared and hopeful. By year, so this started in 2008. I'd say 2008, I had a lot of hope and I was sad and my roommate felt bad for me. 2009, 2010, I was this person. No one's ever going to love you. You're the girl that shits on the floor. You shit on the floor. You roll in your own shit for four hours a day. You were at the top of the game, your game once and those days are over. And this is what you get. This is what you get now for being so crazy before. Like, this is what you get. You did this to yourself. And that's who it was. And now this is what, now this is what, this is my karma. Like, you were so obsessed with body. You were so obsessed with being lean. Here you go. Now you can't eat. Now you wish you could eat. You can't find a doctor. And you can't tell anybody that you roll on a dumbbell to eliminate. Because that's, you're crazy. And people are going to think you're crazy. And God forbid is, and no one's going to love you. Guys, forget guys. Like what guy is cool with that? Guys are like freaked out over periods. Like what guy can you truly tell? <laughs> yeah, you know, how do you spend your mornings? Well, you know, me and this dumbbell. I've got an assortment. I had an assortment of them. Eight pound, 10 pound. I had an eight. I had a 10. I didn't go to the 10 a lot. I found that the eight worked really well. And then the five when you really want to finish it off. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. Well, I remember when, when we met at Superfrog, we, we were talking, you were giving me the cliff notes of this, mm-hmm. which was so crazy because BJ and I are like 
just to lighten up the conversation for a second here, BJ and I are manning the information booth and we're meeting and we're, we're giving each other the cliff notes of like the hell in our lives. And meanwhile, you're, we're fully engaged and they're, like the Iron Man team is actually breaking down our booth. Like I think we actually got fired from our volunteer position, right? Because <laughs> people are walking up to the booth, they need information. We're, we're not talking. even talking to yeah. anyone because we were, we're so we were, fully engaged. It was a good conversation. Oh, so I was obsessed with you guys. I remember. I didn't and leave. the um and the booth got broken down and um and where was I where was I going with that? Oh, but so where I want to go with that is, so no guy is ever going to love you, but there's like a super hot dude yeah, across my breakfast bar right now. Yeah. Uh, so when does he come into the picture? Oh, wow. So, and you're not just, you're not just eye candy. Yeah, no. I, I really, God, he's like thank you. so You're so much candy. more than that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't see myself as the eye candy, so I You know. are eye candy. That's okay. what makes right. you eye so candy. When does that get into my <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, why? Move your foot. You should move your glass. No, I got the life proof case. Come on. I know better. I know myself. I have a life proof case. Sorry, we have a water spill here. I know. Well, this is funny because my mother gave this to me as a show towel, and this is what I do with show towels. I actually use them. Like, you know what a show towel is? You're showing it to us as you use it. it. You put it on the stove, and then nobody's allowed to use it. It was a white towel. I lived a life of show towels in my life, and that. The Those days are over. No. Nah, don't worry about okay. it. Yeah. All right. So back to the story. <laughs> the picture. So we do many years of this, and um, someone meets me and meets how much. I'm still training, by the way. I'm still doing my yoga. I'm still, but now I'm doing the morning, and now I do the yoga at night, and I'm, and a guy, this guy meets me, and he becomes my friend, and he's like, Jesus, he's like, you have zero benevolence. That's what he said to me. He was like, and I, I re, there's another message. I was like, benevolence. So I had those messages from Sheila talking about God and, and, and Barb too. And now I hear this word benevolence and I look it up because I really truly didn't know what it mean, meant. And I was like, wow, I don't. I'm like, he's so right. I have zero benevolence. I am so hard on myself. And so he became a really good friend. And then finally he said to me, you just... You just need to go. You need to give up San Diego. Go to your parents' house and figure this out. Like spend every single penny, every dollar, every minute to, at, with doctors. I don't care what doctor, just go. So for two years, I went to Chicago. I gave up everything. I was 36. Going to, home to your parents at 36 and knocking on their door and asking them for help. And I felt horrible. I was like... By the way, I've been Peter Pan for tons of years. I didn't live your dream, Mom. And now I'm here asking you for money for colonoscopies. And, of course, they're loving. They're beautiful people. And, of course, they took me in and they weren't on the mission with me. And doctors, doctors, doctors. Finally, I fall into some surgeries. Some of them go wrong. One of them gives me a colostomy. To, we won't get in there. But anyhow, I... I I see my parents, I see how hurt and sad they are knowing, watching me, it was a procession into the bathroom. It was sadness, you know, I'd go into the bathroom and they knew they weren't gonna see me for four, now I'm in their house. Now I've exposed them to this sadness. And 
I was like, I got to get out of here. Like their hearts are broken for me. I remember there was a day where my brother and sister-in-law, and, and this is going to get into the part of the story where I talk about divine moments of love. My brother and sister-in-law were doing a bunch of in vitro for the, trying to have their second child. And that's expensive. And, and my brother, who already had one baby, was like, he showed up with his wife, not blood-related to me, and they said, look, we, we have $50,000 we can give you to figure this out. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, this is your money for your family, like to try to build a family. Like I've been, I hated myself. I've been Peter Pan. And now, now look at what P Peter Pan showed up and now needs money. And I was so mad at myself and I was like, no, no, no. And then my heartbreak, I remember there was a day where no one was home and my dad, you know, I was there for two years, so they lived this dumbbell thing with me, and they lived this sad life with me. There was a time where I did break, I did go really dark. I didn't change a t-shirt and underwear for 10, 15 days. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't go downstairs to eat. I would go downstairs and eat a piece of toast and tomato, and then I'd go upstairs, and we didn't have cable at my parents' house, and I would watch those light after school, like Lifetime mm. Network movies over 15 days to the point where there, I was planning my suicide. I had decided how I was going to do it. There was two ways I was going to do it. One was I had $500 in my bank account, and I thought if I go outside in Chicago with $500, I could, I could easily find some gangbanger that'll just fucking kill me. But then I was too scared that he might do other things to me and kill me, and I just was like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. So I also decided that I would... Um, for sure go to Hawaii because I had been to one Ironman and I'd watched it and I'd swam over where the start swim start is. And I was like, I'll just swim till I die. I was like, that's bound to happen. Like you just drop all your clothes at the shore and just swim. I love swimming. And everybody will be like, oh wow, she, she was so depressed. She went to Hawaii and she swam and we never saw her again. And I don't have to tell anybody. I can just hop on a flight, go to Hawaii and start swimming right away and eventually die. I'm like, how? That's all. That's the way I'm going to do it. That was going on. There was a lot of suicide planning. There was a lot of that. I was too scared to do it. And I had hope. I did still have, I was like, there's got to be a doctor. Like, I'm not going to have to do this. So there was a lot of sadness in Chicago. I had a surgery where they had hope that I'd be better, but I, I kind of lied to my parents. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm great. And the surgery was long. I mean, it took nine months to recover from it. It was a huge colon surgery. And I told them, I lied to them and my, my doctor pretty much. I was like, yeah, I'm pooping. It's awesome. And I wasn't really pooping. It was like drip. It was like tiny little drip that came out. That was it for the day. And I was like, at least it's something. So I told them all I was pooping. And I went and found, I got, I started applying for jobs. I was like, I got to get out of here. And still doing the dumbbell, still doing that, what I was telling you. And I find a job with Ride to Recovery in um, Woodland Hills in California. Now I'm in Chicago. And the, the owner and the founder of Ride to Recovery was super, you know, he's like, you ought to come work for me. He loved hiring cyclists or triathletes. And, and I said, okay. And I looked at my sister and it was not a, it was a nonprofit. So the salary wasn't anything outstanding. And it didn't have medical. I told myself I would not go to any job unless it had medical benefits. I wouldn't do it. That was my, that was my, my, you know, what do you call it? My, it's your line. That's that was my line. Yeah. And I looked at my sister and I said, 
I have the weirdest feeling that I have to go work for this man. And there was no benefits at this time with this company. And my sister's like, are you sure? And I was like, I just feel like I have to go work there. And I don't know why. And I went, I started working there. I was doing the dumbbell. I told, I told them I had an issue with my colon and that I couldn't come in till later in the day. And they honored that and they were like, okay. So would you just get up earlier? Yeah. I would get up, I would jog, I would have coffee and jog because I felt like the jogging might jar it up and I would jog and then I would do the dumbbell at home and then get into the office. And sometimes it was just, you know, I looked like hell. Like, I, you know, there's, you cry when you do it. You feel horrible when you do it. There's, to, to give you an idea of how long it took, I had calluses on my hip flexors. I had rug, not rug burns, but burns on my elbows and burns on my knees that I had in the years. It's now 2011 or 12, 12. So 2008, I started the dumbbell. It's 2012, and I'm still doing the dumbbell. And I perfected it. I had knee pads that I would go get from Walmart. So I wore knee pads, elbow pads. I mean, I had a whole system. And, yeah. I mean, I had... Yeah. I you had, had You had... The neural pathway was developed. You knew how to do it. Yeah. And, and you s- knew how to limit the suffering, physically, at least, like with the pads and things like that. Yeah. And, and there had to have been a part of you that was kind of lying to yourself, like, oh, I've, like, when you, on paper, like, okay, I've got the pads now, so I'm not getting the, those, like, the burns is bad on my body, and I've got a job, and mm-hmm. I've got, like, okay, so things might be getting better. This is your, your, like, the best listener, because that's exactly what it was. It was like, I had to find happiness in what was, what was okay. I was like, Look, I have a beautiful family that's willing to support me. I have this job. The job was beautiful, right? I'm, I'm working with all these physically and mentally wounded veterans who all understand suffering. And I felt this, this family there, and they understood. I didn't tell them what I was doing, but I felt like these people also are suffering. This is... This You're in a healing environment, and I think that that healing environment was that that energy that was that was pulling you out, out here and... And that, like, I need to go out there, you know, and take this job was just that your higher being was still in there. It's just, it gets so covered up with all these layers, but it was still getting its voice out here and there Mm -hmm. saying, like, go, go and do this Mm -hmm. job. So where he comes, he's coming in here soon. So I was doing very destructive things in these years, you know, dating guys that were cheaters. I was a cheater. I'm not going to go into that. I'm not proud of it, but I was not, you know, I was definitely the other woman before, you know, I, cause I didn't believe who would ever love me, who would ever love me. So I was doing destructive. I wasn't doing anything destructive sexually. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not a permis. I'm not just, I'm just like a girl's regular. Okay guys. I'm just normal. But I was choosing people that also had pain and suffering in some way, but I didn't even care what it was. Like I was with an alcoholic during that time once I was with a person that did cocaine. I didn't do it, but I was choosing people that had their own brokenness. I called it brokenness. And that's what I believe that I was an energy match. Yeah. Your pain bodies were like, yeah, I was like awake. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is what it is. And then I had been with enough guys that were cheaters, if you can call it that. That I, that's what I believed. I believed, okay, this is my life. I'm just going to roll in the dumbbell. I'll be with, like, really cute, hot dudes that cheat. And I'll just keep having cool flings six, seven, eight months, maybe a year. And I'll die having, like, 
really cool story to tell of a lot of like a real Marilyn Monroe-ish story. And so I started saying that too. I was like, I'd rather be Marilyn Monroe than Jackie O. And I would literally, and I didn't believe it, but I had to, I stopped saying it, you know? And so at one point I got grossed out again with myself. I was grossed out. I was dating someone who was about to get married. He didn't know about the dumbbell. This, of course, why, why? I mean, this is perfect. This dude's about to get married. He's not going to ever want to know what I'm all about during the day. And I literally was listening to that Lumineers song, and it's called Slow Down Angie. And it's kind of about a prostitute, and, and he's trying to take her in. And and I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing more than that. I'm like, this is gross. Like, why are you with this person? Like, why? Why? Stop, like just focus on your job and stop dating dudes, like whatever. I don't care what your problem is. This is my inner, like stop it. Stop ruining other people's lives. And so I was like, I'm sick and tired of dating. I'm just gonna focus on work. And all of a sudden at work, these the, my team members tell me, oh, this guy's a triathlete. He does triathlons. He's gonna come work for Ride to Recovery. You're gonna love him. He's gonna be on the team. He's so awesome. His name is Tommy Muir. You guys are gonna hit it off. And I was like, okay, whatever, that's cool. I was excited, a new team member. And Tommy was also finding his way towards Ride to Recovery, which is really crazy. And uh, he was going through some stuff also. Do you want to share that? Keep going. And, um, well, he shows up at work, and he was, he was cute. He, he was just a cutie. I thought he was fun. We were all friends. I, I wasn't a tra- I wasn't like, oh, my God, you know. I... Uh, I have to know who this guy is or anything, but we all got along and we'd all go to Whole Foods together and after work, we'd go to yoga together and then eat together. But he knew I was someone, he knew I was coming into work late. He didn't know what he had heard, right? Mm-hmm. You had heard I had mm-hmm. some colon issues. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nobody knew what, no one there knew what I did on the dumbbell. Every Everybody really thought I had either Crohn's or colitis undiagnosed. And that was cool with me, them thinking that. And... We all of a sudden, you know, fast forward, we start dating, right? You're only, you work, you started there in November. We started dating like December. Start, yeah, October and January, but yeah. And we start dating and he was the real deal. He was not broken goods. He was such the real deal. He was so cool. And we had such great conversations. We were, we were friends for a long time. We even, you know, I even told them, I'm like, I'm so grossed out. I'm dating this dude. He's about to get married. Are you kidding me? Like, and he's like, well, why are you doing that? Like, we'd analyze each other's situations, whatever other love situations we were in. So we were friends first. And then I remember it was like December 28th, I think, in Whole Foods. You had come back from Christmas break and you were just grizzly, had your cute little five o'clock shadow going and your beanie. And I just looked at him in a different light because we had talked over Christmas break on the phone. And I was just like, I literally confessed to him walking down the aisle, the cold aisle of Whole Foods, going to get a coconut water. We were the only two that were drinking like Harmless Harvest. Everybody else thought we were crazy for drinking. Oh, it's five bucks a pop. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Working for a nonprofit, we were like, you know. And so I, we were arm in arm and I just said, I think I like you. And he goes, he just smiled and he goes, me too. And we're like, oh no, what are we going to do? Like this isn't supposed to happen. And we started dating full on, you know, and... I would go to your house, I'd sleep over at night, and I'd leave early. And uh, did you know? No. Did you know, like, I had to do anything? Like, did you think, what well, did there, you think no, I was doing? It was in the dark. I, mean, I didn't, I never speculated. I just, I 
figured you'd tell me when you wanted to or when you were going to. I didn't know. I I don't like I don't borrow trouble. So I I mean <laughs> we've mostly create narratives that are all always worse than reality. So I don't I I don't try to speculate because I'm going to be wrong ten times out of ten. Yeah. Or maybe nine out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> So you would go home, you would have your secret life. I had my secret life in the morning and then my date, my day at work, and then yoga in the evening, and then eat dinner with him, and then repeat. He never slept over your place. Once or twice. Once, but, but you'd leave in the morning yeah. to go okay. to work. Okay. Yeah, because I had a ride. Because yeah. you still go early. Well, and we, yeah. rode, and we rode first thing in the morning. It's a okay. cycling company, so they So ride. obviously, at some point, he finds out, because... This is crazy. Because we're here, and he's listening. Yeah. This is the first time he's yeah, finding out. Yeah, this is crazy. And you're married. Yeah. So how does it go down? Crazy. Uh, he leaves to go to a wrenching camp. He's going to learn how to wrench on bikes, really, at like a three or a week intensive camp of learning how to wrench on bikes. And I said, okay, well, let me backtrack and go to this divine moment, because this was super divine. It was eerie for me. We were in his kitchen. This is before the wrenching camp. And he goes, I want to move in with you. And I froze, like my whole body well, froze. We, I had uh, gotten another position in the organization, and I was going to have to move up to the bay um, to work with the Palo Alto VA, and so um, I wanted her to move with me, and because I knew, and so I, I told her I wanted her to move with me. So there was, there was, there was a something behind yeah. moving in, and because I was going forward in my career. And I, I wanted my life to include her. And I, uh, I just froze. I was like, I'm, what am I going to, I'm not, I can't move in with him. So I acted very cool and bro-like and said, oh, moving in, that ruins everything. Then, you know, that you're not going to like me anymore. Once we move in, that just ruins. I tried to be like super cool, like bro-like. And he said to me, it was the weirdest quote. And I don't know if you remember it, but mm-hmm. he looked at me straight in the eyes, like square, like like when you see people slow dancing but pulled apart, he looked at me and he goes, "You're gonna see." He's like, "I'm gonna win, and then we're gonna win." I don't to this day know what you meant. I think you meant I'm gonna win this argument, uh, yeah, and that's exactly what I meant. I I knew that I was gonna win, <laughs> and that she was gonna move with me, and then we were gonna do what I knew we had talked about and bring our vision of what we wanted to do going forward to fruition, and we're on that path. So. But to you, did it mean like, oh, but to you, did it mean I'm going to heal? Yeah, that's all it meant. I, I was like, this is something that I don't know that's coming. Like, this is my angel. This is, I don't know what it is. But I was like, I was like, okay. And then he left to go to wrenching camp in Ohio. And I said, I can't, I can't do the dumbbell. I have to eat and not do the dumbbell. Maybe I have trained myself to only be able to poop with the dumbbell. Maybe this is psychosomatic. Don't do it. Do not do it. And for three days, I ate like an athlete. I Even though I'd look at that food and be like, oh boy. But I'm like, no, you have to prove to yourself. Maybe it's Maybe this is just the new way. Maybe you'll poop in five days. Maybe you have to get so impacted that eventually there's so much inside your colon that it'll bump it out, push it out. And I had put myself in such a hurt locker in my abdomen that um, on the third day, it was like 1030 at night and I was in so much pain. And I called my friend Jula, who you guys met at Super Frog. <laughs> Love Jula. We're trying to get Jula on the oh, show. He's amazing. He's amazing. He's a grade school buddy, surgical oncologist at, at UCSD right now. I'm super proud of him. 
he sees the worst of worst cases, you know, he sees the worst of worst cancers. Um, and I called him up because I knew him from grade school and we had been in touch this whole time for several years. And I said, Jula, what am I going to do? He had known that he had known about the dumbbell. He had known about all the doctors I had seen. And he said, well, you're going to cry mercy at some point, And you're, you could have an obstruction. You might have a twisted bowel, but you know, you could stay home until you cry mercy and just go to the ER then or go now and be, be in the comfort of their care. It's going to, it's up to you, but you're going to end up there. I love how he just like yeah. let you he'd like. I'm not going to tell you what what to do, and I'm not going to take your problem away because you've gotten yourself here, yeah. and so you're going to get yourself out. Yeah, but I love you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so I call my friend Maria, who was his roommate at the time, and I said, "You got to get over here. I think I need to go to the ER. I'm not sure, but just be here in case we're going to have to go eventually." And so I am like literally. She was an angel. She just sat on the bed. And I just rolled on the bed for hours until and moaned and was just hoping I could pass gas or something. And I was in so much pain. There, I couldn't do the dumbbell at that point. The, the pain and the distension, there was no way I could even do the dumbbell. Rock bottom number two. Yeah. yeah. And um, we go to the ER. She calls Tommy. He's in Ohio. And... Um, you go ahead. What did she say to you? She was like, Marianne's in the hospital. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was like one in the morning, uh, East Coast time. And, and she told me yeah, that, that Marianne wasn't doing well and um, they were going to go to the emergency room. And, um, and I, and, and then, but Marianne didn't want to go. So she gave her the phone and, and I, and, and I said, and I think I said something to the effect of, I don't know what's wrong, but it obviously doesn't sound good. And I think you need to go. And I mean, with some time and distance I, and, and some more information, I understood her aversion to the emergency room, yeah. but, um, but she ended up, I mean, she, she ended up reaching that mercy point. And so, um, for me, the next, uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't go back to bed obviously, cause now I'm in the unknown. Um, and you know, I'm not that mentally strong that I can <laughs> separate that and go back to sleep about someone I was in love with, am in love with. And so the next morning I got up first thing, you know, United Airlines is open for business and I was on the phone um, and got a, my flight changed and uh, got a ride out of rural Ohio to wherever it was, Cleveland, I think maybe, and, and was on a direct flight to Los Angeles. And yeah, so he uh, met up at the UCLA ER. ER. And uh, the whole time I knew he was coming, when Maria told me he was coming, I was like, I was like, I have to tell him. I have to tell him. This is it. This is it. I... I'm going to lose him. Who, he's not, oh, well, whatever. This was rock bottom for me. I'm like, screw it. Screw it. I'm like, this is this sucks, so I may as well lose him. Like, at least it's now. Screw it. He's not going to be with me. And he showed up, and I remember he leaned over the gurney, and I was laying there, and I was crying, and he literally said, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And I just started bawling, and I said, I can't, I literally said, I can't shit. I roll on a dumbbell all over my shit every day for four hours, maybe six hours. It's disgusting. I hate myself. And I, you know, I don't even know. I just went on and on and told you everything. And he literally, after I just kind of barfed that all over him in the two minutes that I said it, he leans in and he goes, that's not a deal breaker. Like, I just told this guy 
I roll on a dumbbell and, you know, poop is all over me, all over that area that guys don't want to think poop being all over. And for him to say that's not a deal breaker, I'm like, I, I felt safe. I felt safe. I felt like I was with someone that was going to take care of me. I felt like, I think the only other person that gives me that feeling is my dad and my mom. And I felt like I found that person and I couldn't believe that he was okay with it. And he just said, we're going to figure it out. And he got in the gurney with me and he slept there overnight. And we slept in this tiny little gurney together. And yeah. And then uh, here we are. And then we went home. And then we moved. And then we moved. To I San Jose. San Jose. I continued the dumbbell. He lived with me. He knew. How did, what happened at the ER? How did they Oh, relieve? nothing. They gave me Dolcolac suppository and several enemas. And that helped get some out, but then I had to go home and do the dumbbell. So that was it. They didn't do, they did a CT scan and said, yeah, you got a whole ton of poop in there. Get and it that's, out. That's why I never wanted to go to the ER. I've been there so many times for the same reason that they would just, it would be a $4,000 bill for a Dolcolac suppository and, an en- and two enemas. That wouldn't work till it's fullest potential. Till it's fullest potential. Yeah. And then have to go home and just do the dumbbell for four grand. And I had plenty of those racked up in those all these years. It's now 2012, right? No, it's 2013. 2013. So now you're living together. You're in San Francisco. San you Jose. Brought, San Jose. You brought the dumbbells. Oh, yeah. Dumbbells came with towels, bleach, the works. And, and when you shop for a place, like a, when you house hunt... There's a certain type of bathroom. You need to find one I can lay down in. We need two bathrooms. I was adamant about this. Like, we need two bathrooms. It has to be a big bathroom. I need a removable shower head. Tile wall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was necessity. So, we, I, like, I shopped for bathrooms. I didn't care what the whole other apartment looked, for, looked like. And um, the saddest part was I loved him so much. And he... He would, this is what the part that kills me that I love you so much for. He would go on a bike ride. You'd eat like your oats at eight. Your bike ride would be at like nine. And I would look at him and go, I'm going to the office, which meant the bathroom. And he'd be like, okay, you know, hope it's a good day. Hope it's a good day, man. I hope it's like two or four hours today. And he'd leave. And sometimes you'd come back at 12, sometimes one. So nine to 12, nine to one you know, your rides, and I would still be in the bathroom. And he'd come talk to me. He'd talk to me through the door or through the door. And he'd be like, knock on it. And he'd be like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'd be like, yes, go away. Please go away. Go, go, please. And he would leave me be. And he'd go do whatever he did, studied. He was, he was in his graduate program at the time. And I was in my doom. I was in there doing doom. I was in there hating on myself. I was hating the dumbbell, hating my life, and constantly thinking how this was going to end us. This was going to end us. And it's sweet that he loves me, and I've got a great guy, but there is no guy that's an athlete that can handle his person being in the bathroom all day. Like, I wanted to be free. I wanted to run and swim and even bike if I, you know, maybe not bike, but... I wanted to be an athlete with him from eight to one. So how did you get free? (laughs) Whoa. There was a day 
So now it's 2000 what? You're so good with the dates. 2013, November. Or what are you talking about? Uh, the Stanford. Yeah, that was 20, November, uh, the beginning. I had just finished a work trip. I was, in San, I was in San Diego. We had done a ride from uh, San Francisco to um, Los Angeles. Um, and then uh, we had an event uh, in San Diego afterward, a training camp. And, and so I was down here. And it was uh, the early, no, early November. So it was probably four years ago from like right around now. Yeah. So I, I'm going to talk about another divine moment, which is so cool. You're going to love this one out of everyone that I've given you. You know, I've given you the little ones. I've given you my brother and my dad. And this one was so profound. Um, he has a very good friend, cyclist, lawyer, mentor, older brother type of figure. He's a big trial lawyer. So he's really done a lot in human psychology. He really is a great guy. And beautiful person, beautiful soul, and done a lot of his own spiritual work and, and just speaks your language for sure. And, and um, he asks Tommy, how's Marianne doing? And he's like, yeah, she's not good. And at this, you know, at this point I had been telling him like, this is going to end us. This is, you're not going to want to be with me. You know, this is horrible. You're not going to, this is going to end us and it's going to crush me. And he's like, stop saying that. Tommy would be like, stop saying that. That hurts me. He's like, do you understand? It hurts me. And I loved him for that, but I believed deep in my heart that this, it was only going to crush me more when he and eventually had to break up with me. Like having this and him breaking up with me, I couldn't deal with both. Like I knew it was, I would go back to the suicidal thoughts if, if I lost him too. And then I had to go, I was like, I'm going to go, I, this is going to bring me back to my parents' house. I'm going to be back there living in their house doing the dumbbell at my parents' house in, in my 40s. And how am I going to do this in my 60s? So anyway, he fast forward to Joe talking to him on the phone. And, and Joe says to him, how's she doing? And he goes, oh, she's pretty bad, Joe. She's pretty, uh, it's pretty bad. She's pretty low. He's like, really? He's like, put her on the phone. And Joe gets on the phone and he says, so can't find a doctor. No one's going to find what's wrong with you. Can't find one, huh? I was like, no. And he's like, and you're, you know, this is what you do. You've been doing it for how many years now? You roll on the dumbbell and you eliminate, you go to work and, and uh, you can't kill yourself. You told me you can't. You told me you don't have the guts to do it. So you're not doing that. We all know you're not doing that. And I was like, no. And I was like, why is he talking to me like this? This is terrible, you know, I'm so depressed. And he goes, well, have you ever thought about this? He's like, maybe, maybe there is no doctor. Maybe this is your life. Or maybe Tommy's love will heal you. What if Tommy's love will heal you? Why don't you try that? You haven't tried that before. Why don't you let it in? And maybe it will heal you. And it just clicked. It, it, I rolodexed to the guy that told me I had no benevolence. I rolodexed to the girl who people were just like, geez, like I was so just... I, I, this message was coming to me, like, let love in, let it in. Like your parents were trying to give it to you. Your brother tried to give it to you. You ran from it. This beautiful person who's accepted everything, you're attracted to him. He loves you. He thinks you're the strongest girl in the world. He told me that a million times is trying to love you. And you're like, oh, we're going to break up. We're going to break up. We're going to break up. And he would say, like, stop saying that. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, don't manifest that. And I was like, oh, he doesn't know. He thinks he's this strong, but he cannot handle this. And so Joe clicked. It clicked. 
it clicked. And I decided at that point when he said that to me, that every hug that I was ever going to get from Tommy was going to be like, like just absorb. I was going to take it in and be like, just mainline the love. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to reject it. And I, I did it like it was a practice. I did it like a coach told me, you have to take this supplement. It's disgusting. It tastes bad, but you have to do it. It's good for you. And I said, okay, this is a practice now. Because how did it feel to start letting it in? First, scary, because I was going back to like, what if this does fail? Like, I I'm going to let this person totally in. So at first, scary... And there was a lot of inner dialogue of like, no, 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 no. Like, cause sometimes he'd hug me and I would, I would let it in for a second and I'd squirm out. How did it feel in your body? <sighs> Safe. Beautiful. Like I needed it. I think there was times where I've, I've said to you so many times and you've been like, huh? I said, God, when he would hug me, I go, do you ever wish that your mom would just hug you and hold you? Like when you get out of a pool and she wraps you in a warm towel I was like, don't you ever want that feeling? And he's like, no. He's like, no, but I wanted that feeling so bad. I wanted to just be held and loved and just loved and healed. And he was offering it to me. And yeah, I let it in, right? And so we, the way this progresses is and where I start seeing an answer. And I believe that letting love in started leading me. This was the snippet of letting love in, right? But paths started opening. And I always wanted that magical doctor to show up. I am the answer to all your problems. That's what I wanted, to show up. But what showed up was <laughs> November what? I actually think it was October 28th. But yeah, yeah, it was October 28th. I, what yeah, showed up got was... Got out of the hospital in November. Was doing the dumbbell one day and having uh, come out of the dumbbell day, being ready to have enjoy my evening with Tommy. And uh, Yeah. I had just gotten home from the work trip in San Diego. Yeah. And she... It, it was a long day. It was a long it was like day in the bathroom. It was a 12-hour day. Yeah, it was a long day in the bathroom. It was hard. And... I remember coming out of there and like bawling and he would just hold me and I was just bawling my eyes out. And he would always say to me on those days, it's taken over half of your day. Don't let it take any more. And then I would just take a deep breath in his arms and go, okay. And that was it. That was over. That was, it's over. That was over. And I, now I had my evening with him to watch Netflix or do whatever until the next day. But that night, that evening, I, um, started getting these stomach cramps, even though I had just done the dumbbell, I was done, I was alleviated of everything, it was clear. I started getting major stomach cramps and he was like, what's wrong? And I was just like, or tummy cramps. And I was like, I don't know, I probably have to just pass gas. I just need to drink a lot of water. And I started drinking tons of water and it was like six hours, seven hours mm -hmm. of this. And I was just rolling on the ground, holding my tummy going, oh my God, I think I just got to pass gas. And then all of a sudden, projectile vomit, all water, all pure, like, lime green-looking Gatorade water. Bile. Bile. And I'm projecting it out. And I said to him, this is it. And I just screamed, this is it. And he goes, what? He's like, what's it? What is it? I was like, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was dying. And I had been advocating to go to the emergency room for, for, about, for about, well, for about four hours. 
and she was not having it. And at that point, I, I took thought her, it was going to be another four thousand. Well, I, I took her decision making ability away from her, and we went and got in the car and we made went up to Stanford, and went to the emergency room, and she was immediately admitted. I said to them, are, I said, are you guys going to give me an ileostomy? And then I was afraid I'm going to be a girl. Like, who, how is he going to date this girl now with an ileostomy? And they said, we don't know. I go, are you guys going to go laparoscopic? Are you guys, I knew these terms, right? Are you guys going to, because I had had some surgeries prior for other things, but I said, are you guys going to cut me open or go in laparoscopically? They go, we don't know. And I go, can I meet my surgeon? I'd like to meet my surgeons before. And they go, no, there is no time. And I, when the way they said it, when with the gravity they said it, I knew there was something really serious going on. Yeah, they were not messing around at all. It was immediate. It was, it was, it was probably less than twenty-five minutes before she we had dropped, gotten in, and she was on rolling into surgery. It I was, remember looking at you. Thinking, it was dire, and it was pretty, pretty. What was happening? Pretty easy to see. We didn't know, but we found out. Mm-hmm. I had two closed loop twist bowel obstruct, two loops closed. So picture a balloon artist or a big like a a hot dog balloon and picture that balloon twisting and that balloon the the middle portion dilating so my I had two closed loop bowel obstructions so it was kinked in two spots and the large intestines was about to rupture um why yeah it was all ended up being dead bowel as it was, well. Yeah, it was dead bowel, which is crazy. Jula to this day is like, I can't believe you had dead bowel. That's crazy. <laughs> dead bowel means it was it, the circulation and the blood flow had been cut off there for so long that it was actually dead. Like, like the tissue was like necrotic, yes. like mm-hmm. it was yeah, dying. To, yeah, they had to remove it. So they removed, uh, actually, it was my small. Sorry, it wasn't my large. It was my small intestines. They removed 72 yeah, centimeters small, yeah. of my small intestines. Yep. And the doctor, the ER surgeon that day who was on call must have been, was he talking to you? How did he know what I had been through? Because when I got... We had had some conversations. And when I had woken up from anesthesia and everything, and he comes to visit you in your room, he goes, honey, he's like, you need to see a neurogastroenterologist. It is now 2014, the first time. I hear about seeing a neurogastroenterologist. This isn't, there's only like, they told me about 30 in the United States and I might be, maybe there's more now. There's one at Cedar sinai there's, I don't think UCLA uh, and Stanford. So we were lucky that we went to Stanford because we were living in San Jose and there was a closer hospital. But I had said to him, here's what's crazy. We wouldn't be living in San Jose unless he went to grad school there. So it's kind of like the, you're going to, we're going to win. But he said to me while I was, you know, on the car ride when he's taking me to the ER, he's like, which hospital do you want to go to? And I'm puking in a bucket. I'm like, Stanford, they're better. Stanford. You know, I don't know. I just know Stanford's a good school. And so great hospital, 30 minutes away, instead of driving to one, one that's like five minutes away, we're like, go to, I just said, go to Stanford. And they had a neurogastro department and I was in the right hands. Finally, I see a neurogastro. It took, it took a long time to see her to get an appointment Yeah, it took with from her. November to February. Yeah. yeah. And that was because she had a cancellation and I got in. It takes about six months to see this neurogastro. So in November, you got the 72 inches yep. removed mm-hmm. and you leave the hospital. Continue. Yeah. But you're not, are you still using the weight? Oh yeah. Okay. So now I wait to heal because obviously you can't go on the weight because I have scars all over my abdomen. So I'm, yeah, I wait till that heals and I get back on the 
on the way. I'd get back on the way. So then you had the appointment in when? February. In February. Okay, so four, three, four months mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. And in February, she does a thing called a colonic manometry, which people on the podcast should know this. Neurogastros see severe blows to the spine can definitely cause trauma to a nerve or to a neural pathway that can lead to motility issues, slow or fast or none, which is what I had. But people should know neurogastros exist. If you have a crazy motility, that's just not, if you have extreme diarrhea, that's a motility doctor or a neurogastro. If you have, if you don't poop and you used to poop and you were a normal pooper, what I've learned in all this is you don't become a non-pooper. If you were a pooper all your life, and all of a sudden something happened, whether... Something went something went awry somewhere. Yeah, it could yeah. also... And, and this is, again, getting graphic and technical. One of the questions that they asked me at every appointment if I, is if I had been traumatic, if I had any sort of traumatic sex, anal sex, anally raped, or had given birth to a large baby. And I, I had to always tell them in every appointment that that had not happened to me. So people on the podcast should know... If any trauma has happened in that area, there could be pelvic floor dysfunction. But motility, you need to see a neurogastro. Yes, gastros can help, but know that they exist. Please. Like, if there's yeah. anything I could get across is, like, Cedars-Sinai, I, University of Iowa. Um, if you get online and just t- Google it, there's a whole list of who they are. There's not that many. But um, there's a lot of people struggling with yeah, motility don't, issues. Don't keep it in. No. Yeah. Like, like there are people out there to help. Yeah, go see it. So I end up going on um, Dulcolax. They actually give me an over-the-counter medicine, Dulcolax, and I'm on that for two years, but I'm still not eliminating properly, and I'm doing the dumbbell again. So for two years, I'm doing the dumbbell again. And now let's finally, I was just like... How? It was 13 more months, but yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I can't, I can't do this. So I started looking at forums because I started, I knew that ilio- the ileostomy that I have now was the end all be all. He called it the express lane. You knew this was going to happen pretty much. I wanted well, to prolong it. There was two options yeah. that, they, that, that came out of. So when they, after the colonic manometry, they diagnosed her with colonic inertia, which means the brain's sending the signal to evacuate, but the nerves in the colon are not receiving to act. So, and then through um, a chiropractor we were seeing, it became known to her that she actually fractured her back with that yoga move because he took x-rays when we started to see. So the puzzle, Dr. Ken was, was all able coming to together. put this all together in eight years' time. And so, but the, uh, the colonic inertia uh, prevented that. And, and, the, and like getting a fracture during a yoga pose is insane but because of the fragility of your body i'm sure your bone density was like terrible super low and like i mean you are oh my god you're so tough right like like we know that right yeah. like you've got yeah. <laughs> you've so got nothing to, to prove yeah but it's such a a gorgeous example of like what being tough can get you yeah, and where it can take you because with everything you can go too, too far down the line, but, but just, 
you know, imagining how you were even functioning, like when you were in Greece and so sick and, you know, then on Operation Atrophy and probably so sick mm-hmm. and then actually fracturing your back in a, in a, um, you know, I'm sure that the bones were already weak. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was like just that, the little bit of frosting that it needed but it's just, it's crazy to me. And then, so I'm assuming from fracturing the back, you severed a nerve. I don't know if they call it severing or if or they say, compressed. I've heard a doctor say snapped. He's like, oh yeah, you snapped it. That's, but you lost the connectivity. Lost the connectivity. The way my neurogastro likes to say is you, you, you cause trauma to a neural pathway. Oh. You, 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 the, the, the communication was no longer there. Yeah. Whoa. So I wish and there so was like a name for it so I can just name it. So is it snapped? Is it, is well, it severed? Is colon- it well, yeah, that part. But colonic, colonic inertia, inertia is, is the name the, of what happened. But, and when, so with that, Dr. Ken basically said, you know, there's, there's three options forward. You can take the Dolcolax and continue to use the dumbbell or there's two surgical options. The, and you can, I guess the, the Try ile- to, ileostomy or then the direct let's cut connection. The a bulk. Let's let's get your let's take your large intestines out and connect your small to your rectum. But I'm going to tell you right now that doesn't work that well. Um, there's a lot of issues there. You'll have to carry like um, pads with you because your sphincter won't be. You know the trauma that we do from surgery. It's it takes time to heal. So when poop descends into your rectum and your sphincter that will be like a leaky faucet so for about a year if you sneeze or cough there will be a little heel shard yeah and like i always say like everything's there for a reason yeah starting taking out large sections of your body is like oof that's rough there's there's gonna be consequence and uh and then the other option was an ileostomy, which we, I love Tommy's, Tommy calls it the express lane. And that's, that's taking your small intestines and pulling it out of your rectus abdominis through your abdominal fat and out of your abdomen. So everybody sees the, you know, there's a couple of walls there. There's your rectus abdominis, which is your muscle, a couple, a little layer of fat or a lot, depending if you have a lot. And then it comes through your, it, it looks, I mean, it's, yeah, it looks like. You know, when you see a baby's belly button when they mm-hmm. first are born and it pops out like that, it, it's not crusty like that. Baby's belly buttons get like crusty. It's like, it looks like lips or a tongue. I mean, it's pink and it's... So they reroute it. They reroute it and now it's, it pokes outside of my abdomen a little bit to the, uh, to the right of my belly button between my belly button and, and hip bone. And it's just there and it does what it does all day long. And it's your small intestines. Um, so your lar- what your large does is when you eat, it goes through your small intestines. Your small absorbs everything. Your small does all the work, absorbs everything, and the waste, the stuff that it doesn't need, goes into your large. And for lack of a better way to describe it, your large just kind of bakes it. You know, it like bakes it through. Some people, it takes eight hours to get to the rectum. Some people, six. Some people, five. Again, depending on your motility, your activity, how much fiber you ate, how much water you drink. Um... I don't have that baking system. I don't have a large intestines anymore. So So did they remove that completely? Yeah, they removed it completely. It didn't work. I had no peristalsis. 
And so they removed it completely. And, um, and peristalsis is kind of like the uh, layman's term, like almost like a muscle pump mm-hmm. that moves everything along. Mm-hmm. Like a caterpillar, little like, like little accordion, yeah. right? And it's involuntary. You don't know what's happening. You can't feel it. Um, Which is what the dumbbell was, was doing. doing for you. Yeah, I was pretty much doing that. And so um, and, and it was rough. I mean, it's not like rolling around cutesy on a dumbbell. I mean, you're pushing on your abdomen. I know what I was getting when I, and I, and I just want to say this because, um, when I was talking about meeting you and we were at the Ironman tent and all of that, I pulled out a trigger point nano, which is a foot roller out of the bag. And I was showing it to you and you had like, you had a traumatic reaction to it. You were like, Oh my God, that looks like a dumbbell. Yeah. No, I hate dumbbells now. I don't like them. I don't want to see them. I remember now what I was getting at when I was telling that story that you were just like, Oh my God, that looks like a dumbbell. Like I totally have PTSD around dumbbell because it did. It was like a little, it's like a foot roller. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that's what the dumbbell was doing yeah so yeah but you know getting the beautiful part that I think you guys are going to like also that I skipped over but I'll kind of touch on is getting to the decision to have the ileostomy was also a long process and I was so afraid I had gone on forums and heard horror stories I had friends had that had them and I was like oh my god they break all the time oh my god how is gonna how's it gonna be to be intimate with Tommy you know there's just gonna be this bag of stool in that general area and you're googling stuff you never thought you would google before (laughs) yeah I was really freaked out and so I just wasn't ready and so I I started wanting to investigate what learning to love myself was I wanted to understand that and I thought maybe that if I learned to love myself maybe I'll love myself so much that I won't care so much about an ileostomy and what it means. I won't, like, I'll love myself enough to have one. It's the perfect next logical step. He loves you. You let the love in. It's led you to, like, I literally, I do believe that that allowing that love led you because it was like, oh my God, she's letting it in. This is like such, this is like step one of one of the biggest things she's supposed to learn. And then the second step without that foundation, you would not have been able to, to step into and get curious about, which is loving yourself. Yeah. And that was intense. So I started working with someone, actually a medium because I wanted, I, I didn't, I wanted to just know if I should do the surgery or not. And I thought a medium would just tell me. That's yeah. so Make it simple. Yeah. <laughs> Make the decision for you. Yeah. You're like, it's yeah. Been, yeah. Like, don't I deserve yeah. one simple answer? I've tried everything. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well. So I called a friend of mine. Well, I was, and I wasn't, she, she would, yeah. I would not, I never ever, um, told her anything to do. I, she would always ask me my opinion and I would never give it on anything related to this because I did not want to interject myself into the process and st- because number one, I don't know what it's like to be in her shoes to have gone through that. And I think that's, that's selfish of me to interject what it's like sitting in the passenger seat with none of the responsibilities or, um, you know, ramifications of that. And so I would never recommend what she had to do in any situation because the decision ultimately had to be her own. Because if I gave her a recommendation that, that she followed through on because maybe more of a belief in me, 
and it went wrong, it could be something yeah. that comes between us down the road. So every decision I felt needed to be hers. Yeah. But also even a deeper And I would support it, but a deeper understanding of that is um, the principle of nonviolence in yoga, which is that we think as humans, like, oh, this person drinks too much, so let's have an intervention. And so you get there and they're not ready because they haven't hit their, their life isn't crappy enough that they're going to seek their own healing. But we, we violate, and I'm just using that as an example, and I don't mean to do this to offend anyone, but just an understanding of like really like a deep, deep meaning of nonviolence is like we got to let people go down their road as as fully expressed as possible in order for them to learn what they're supposed to learn. And it's so hard to watch the person that you love suffer. <laughs> and so you have an unbelievable quality of strength that I would say 98% of the population does not have because you allowed her to go down and fully express her path and look at what she got to. She got to this place where she was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I want to know how to love myself. I didn't know how You're to do You're doing that. a lot of work in this life. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I had a friend that was like, her name's Stacy. She lives here in San Diego, and she's really clear, and she's getting like a lot of clairvoyant thing, signals, and she does a lot of meditation, and, and things come to her. And I, so I called her. I said, what should I do? What should I do? She goes... I don't, I don't know, Lucas. She's like, my kids are in the car. I got to do a reading on you. She's like, but I don't, I just, hold on. She's like, hold on one second. I don't know what you have to do if you should do the surgery or not. I don't know, but this message keeps coming to me that you have to love yourself. And she didn't know that I was on this, that that was mm -hmm. something that a conversation that I was having in my head. And I was like, what? Like a random friend telling me like, I don't know if you should have the surgery or not. So then the next thing is I call this medium and the medium says, and this is like within a week. And I call this medium and I say, hey, you don't know me. I got your number from someone. I heard you're good. Call me back. She calls me back. And she goes, hi, sorry, I'm in the kids with my car. You know, I'm, the kids are in the car with me. And it's kind of loud, but um, do you know what I do? And I was like, no, I don't really know what you do. I got your number from someone. They said you're really good. And I just need a decision on something. And she's like, well, I'm a medium. So dead people might come through. She's like, but um, I also heal with, I do chakra healing. I'm a healer, um, but dead people do come through. If that freaks you out, I just, just let me know and I, I won't tell you about it. And um, I was like, no, I don't really need to talk to anybody that passed and I don't need chakra healing. I just need help with a decision. And she goes, oh yeah, yeah, I know. She goes, there's something wrong with your colon and the nerves in your colon but you have a lot of chakra work you have to do. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what? How yeah. would this woman even know to say colon and nerves? Like, how would she even know to say that? And so I was like, I'm working with her. And it took three total sessions. And literally the first thing she said to me was, oh, wow, you are toxic. She just goes, you are toxic. And I was offended. I was like, I'm like the coolest, yeah, happiest, <laughs> nicest. I want the best for people. She's like, oh no, you don't, you don't know what toxicity is. She's like, worry, anger, judgment, hatred. You know, she just went through these words and she's like, do you do that to yourself? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> let me give you my journal that I don't keep. Let me just tell you what I say to myself for over eight hours a day. And I explained to her what was going on. And she just said, that's, that's it. I have to learn 
That's right now all she knows is she knows that if I do the surgery or don't do the surgery, something was going to happen in the surgery. So, so research everything that might happen with the surgery because you will have something go wrong. She's like, I don't know what that is, but it, something will. But you'll be fine either way. But you're not going to be fine unless you don't learn to love yourself. She's like, so that's the work I can do with you. And I'm not trying to take your money. I would rather you be done like in one session, but this is how I do it. And I, I mean, I, I, I took what she said like an athlete and I practiced. I practiced. I told her what I would say to myself in the bathroom and she gave me sentences to combat that. Like it was like, this is what I say when this happens. This is what I say when in the fourth hour. And if it takes five to eight hours that day, I'm done. Like I'm thinking about suicide. Like that's when suicide planning comes in, in the fifth hour or eighth hour. And, and doom. Doom is the best word I can say that, that, that resonates with me the most in those years. Just doom. He was going to leave me. I was going to end up at my parents. Just doom. I was doomed. And like, look at the simplicity of what she was, the, what she was giving you to combat that. I'm, I'm assuming, I don't even really have to ask, that they were essentially the opposite language of what you were <laughs> telling yourself. Yeah. And this is the practice. Like, this is the practice of developing our hmm, reconnection into our higher selves, which is love. And so without that cultivation, we will not be able to be in touch with that. And, um, but it's a practice. And so how did it feel when you were like, you're a piece of whatever, and you combated it with those sentences? Give us. It was so hard to believe. And the first couple of times, it just felt like I was reading lines off of someone else's playbook. But I had to practice it. And I mean, I practiced it and it felt great. It felt like those hugs. It felt nurturing. It felt safe. It felt right. It felt good to myself. I was Because you had already learned how to let love in. Yeah. You were just selectively applying it to Tommy's love. Mm -hmm. It felt right. It felt, I was listening to Louisa Hay, Abraham Hicks, Hicks and it, it it felt like every time I said those nice sentences to myself, it was what my body needed to hear. It needed to be held like that little kid in the towel when you get out of the pool and your mom holds you. It needed to be nurtured. It needed to be loved. It was so thirsty for love from myself. Oh, it was like a desert. Yeah. And it was powerful work. And, and that's truly the embodiment of practicing mental skills. And then there's no better testament to the applicability across any spectrum. It's not just applicable to sport. Every endeavor, and it goes back to the mental component within everything. And we have to practice them just as the physical. And it doesn't happen at the snap of a finger. No. But it becomes the authentic and the truth. But would you say that because you had discipline, like you had the discipline, you had the will because of your background, your your innate mm -hmm. ability to be an athlete that that you applied that same thing to learning how to love yourself. 1 million percent. I was like this is this is it. I'm not going to yoga. I did not do yoga at a studio. I did it 
in my bathroom with an area heater with Louisa Hay on and I did all the postures and then I would lay there and I would listen to 10 minute meditations after like guided ones because I didn't know how to do it and I just practiced it. The only thing that was authentic to me versus a tape or Louisa Hay or Abraham Hicks, those were the ones I liked. And I know there's a lot of people out there, but I needed, I didn't know how to do it on my own. But the one thing that was organic to me was I completely focused on if, if I were to get better, if I would not have to do the dumbbell ever again, what would I do? And she, the medium had asked me that. And I said, oh, I'd go to Greece. I'd go to Greece with Tommy. Who would you be? This is like classic Byron Katie work. Like who would you be without it? Oh yeah. I said I would. I would, I, go, I would wake up in the morning and I would go like open the door and first see the sun and smell the fresh air and not just do this procession to the bathroom. But I said to myself, if I didn't, the first thing I would do is book a ticket to Greece, take Tommy to Greece, have him meet all my friends, all my triathlete friends, my family, just engulf him in that world so he can see it. And it was such a big part of my life and a you know, beautiful part of my life and my childhood. We were there every summer in my childhood. And I... I I, I also practiced that. So to, to help the listeners here, I took that and focused on just that. Because to ask me like, oh, what would you do? Like if you want a million, oh, I do this, I do that, I do this. I would go to Disney World. You know, it's like just one thing. Just one thing. And I laid in bed at night and I would picture us in Greece and it would put this huge smile on my face. I knew exactly what we were doing. I knew who we were with. I could see it. I could smile right now thinking about it. And then in the morning I would do it again first thing before I got out of bed. And if I ever forgot to do it, I would actually excuse myself from whatever I was doing. And I'd go lay in bed for that 12 seconds and just do it. But for me, it was laying down in bed and just do it. And that was actually, it was the first thing we did when I got better. We booked a flight to Greece. We did a a buddy moon. We had a honeymoon there. We called it a buddy moon. We invited our friends and it was celebration of my health, celebration of looking at food and being able to eat it and know it was going to get eliminated. It was it was not food afraid. It was love. It was love from friends. It was love for the people that knew. All these people that came to Greece knew what I had to do. And they, when I got the ileostomy, I could say there was a lot of people that cried. So, I was just gonna say the visualization. It's just this is huge. So like the perfect example. Like you visualize it. You put all your earnest and genuine interests and focus on this one thing, and it comes to fruition. So what if you did that every day of your life for everything that you're doing and not trying to do 50,000 things, just do like one thing really well. Mm -hmm. One pointed focus. And then do the next thing mm -hmm. really well. Like what if we removed all that stuff? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's possible. And I think that's the way forward to do what you want to do. And that's, it begins and it's in the moment, right? Because when you're, when you're 17 steps down the road, you're not here and now, and the only thing you have the ability to control is right now. And it's taking that systematic approach. Yeah, you can see the long term because you have to have something to work towards. But being able to see that and working towards it and, and, and you know, harnessing your energies and your efforts and putting it down that path. And, and that's, I mean, hands down, she's the absolute toughest, strongest, most driven I mean, person I've ever met in my entire life. I, 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 I couldn't fathom how she was, mm. how she 
dealt with it I, I, and, and how she handled it with such grace. And the thing that impressed me the most beyond all of that is how she never once ever took that out on anyone else or me. It never, she never allowed that to spill out of her. Um, and her ability to separate that and treat everybody else in, in, in her life as if they're the important person that they are and never take out her own personal frustration, anger on any, I, I, she's the most beautiful person I've ever met or could hope to meet. And I mean, it's just, it's inspirational and it, it really, she is pushed me to be a better version of myself because I'm not going to lie. That's not something I have the ability to do all the time. And it pushes me to try to be better. I've never seen her treat anyone, you know, without the respect that they, or uh, yeah, without the respect that they deserve. Well, they should get me, right? They, I, I love people. <laughs> well, not everybody has that ability though. Well, and I love that. Like his, like, you're in the bathroom for X amount of hours a day and he's like falling more in love with you. I know. <laughs> like, like, right? <laughs> On paper, this does not make sense. No. So tell us about wh- what what was the turning point where you said, I want to go to the express lane. I am done with this. He had said to me, okay, we got to go to my parents for, for Christmas. And I was like, whoa, that's exposing three more people, his brother, his mom, his stepmom, and his dad to what I do in the bathroom. And I was just like, oh, well, first of all, let's talk about the size of their bathroom. I'm like, do they have a big bathroom? You know, I want to know the layout of the house. Is it going to be my bathroom? And, and it was, what it was a, a huge like, bathroom. What a prison. <laughs> oh. What a prison. Well, I'll tell you, yeah, that's the perfect word. I use that all the time. I was in a prison, in my own prison. It was horrible. I would love to be in charge of capital punishment right now. And I would definitely incorporate enemas, the dumbbell, all of it. I, you know, just put me in charge. Any prison person listening. Some badly uh, placed bathroom with yeah, just, <laughs> carpet on the floor. Yeah, just, you know, call me. I can consult. But um, he, I said, okay. He goes, look, if we're going to do, you know, if you're going to have this, we got to live life. You know, we got to live life. So I go to his stepmom and dad's in New Mexico. And it is now, I had been doing work with the, with the medium. It's October. I started with the medium. It's now December. I had only done probably three sessions total with her, each being an hour. But you're doing the work every day. I'm doing the work every day. And oh, she yeah. did tell me, she's a beautiful person. Her name's Amy Akers. Um, she did tell me, look, if you are in a bad place, text me what you're saying, what text me. And I will text you back what you need to do. And so she allowed me to text her. And it was like a coach. It was a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, people get freaked out over saying medium. Now she's a theta healer. That's what she, she's done a lot of work. And it's exactly what I do with the people that I work with. Yeah. Like with meditation and stuff. They're, you know. It was, yeah. Like they'll text me like, I just lost it. And now I'm in the bathroom because you said that was a temple. And, yeah. and what do I do now? Like, yeah. because I, you know, and it's like, all right, this is how you, cause I don't want to walk out of here the way I walked in. And so, yeah. So I go to New Mexico, I'm do the thing. I'm doing the whole dumbbell there. And on the very last day when we were going to go say goodbye, his, his stepmom, um, she's awesome. And she is retired now, but was right mm-hmm. recently retired, but she's a polygrapher for the FBI. 
and she tells it like it is to, to she is just like a, I don't know if being a polygrapher for the FBI means you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, you just freaking tell it like it is. It's kind of just how she is. Though. She's a tell it like it is person. And I went to her bedroom. From love. Yeah. I went With to her love. bedroom. She's the best. I went to her bedroom. She's awesome. And I said, hey, thanks for the Ugg slippers. I love them. You know, I love, you know, what are you doing? She's looking at a file of a bad guy. She's like, oh, I have a polygraph tomorrow. I was like, ooh, let's see the bad guy. This is cool. And so she didn't show me. She couldn't, but... Anyway, I was like, thank you so much. And she's like, kiddo, you're not living. And I just broke down. And I looked at her and I said, I know. I was like, I know. I was like, thank you. Thank you. Because everybody else was like, oh, it's, you know, no one. She just goes, you're not living. I don't know what the next step is, but you need to do the next step. And I like, it was like. It was like, this is what I've been waiting for. It didn't, it, I'm, I literally left her bedroom. It was late at night, but the next morning, the very first thing I did was call my doctor and say, I'm ready. And it was December 26th. She had us in her office, I think on January 9th mm-hmm. to meet with her. 2015. Mm-hmm. And she looked at Tommy and I and was like, so do you want to be connected to the rectum? Do you want an ileostomy? And I said, oh, no, ileostomy. I want no more complications. I don't want a year of carry. I've already suffered. I don't want to. I don't want the other option. I said, I'm ready for the ileostomy. And she goes, oh, my God. She's like, I'm so glad you chose that because it's, it's, she goes, get ready. What are you going to do with eight new hours in your day? And I just looked at him and I looked at her and all three of us were just crying. I mean, he was holding me, I was holding, and she, it was like the three of us were in a huddle and we were, I was like, I don't know, but I know I'm gonna walk outside every day and look at the sun and look at the sky and just smell the fresh air, for sure. That's one thing I'm gonna do. And I was like, and I'm gonna run and I'm gonna do yoga and I'm gonna, we're gonna go to Greece. And she was like, well, get ready for your new life. And I mean, we got in the, uh, what, January 14th? Yeah. I was... Yeah, it was surgery. literally like four or four days later, three or four days later, they got us in. Somebody canceled, opened up, and the doctor, she, she was the best. fantastic. I mean, she moved Marianne to the front of the line. Yeah. <laughs> and pulled some strings to get her in there, like, really quickly. Oh, man. It was amazing. It was awesome. Stanford was awesome. Yeah. And then I got it, and yeah, it's working great since. I have had a slip up. You do get hernias. Um, it is a hernia, technically. It's your intestines. Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. I'm like, it's kind of like a hernia on purpose. Yeah. And so you do get... Some people are prone to reoccurring hernias. I did have a hernia. It was huge. It looked like... It looked like a fake boob, like a B or C it's cup. A it's a, it's a <laughs> I have pictures. Right? You'll yeah, die. Like yeah. You'll die when Pushes you see it. through that little mm-hmm. hole, right? The hole, yeah. yeah. Already that's there. And yeah. It's they a, try to seal it up, but it, sh- it shot through the abdomen. It's, and yeah. It was like a B or C <laughs> It was a B or C cup on the side of my body, and I loved it. I but thought it, it was so funny because I was like, oh, yeah, dude. But I, you're just like, I know what that is. Yeah. I can deal with that. Yeah. We'll get another. We'll get a hernia surgery. No problem. Okay. But my doctors told me, like, okay, if you're prone to these... Let's operate when we have to. Let's let it get big enough and operate it when we have to because you might be prone to them, which means you might be in here a lot, getting a lot of hernia surgeries. Hopefully not, but just know that's a part of this life now. And so I was like, I don't care, man. I'm not on a dumbbell. Like, I I don't care if I have one every year, which I do care, but I was like, great. But what was the best, and it's so silly, but I, I had this big hernia and I'd go to yoga and I had my little side pooper. 
And I loved it. I was like owning it. And it literally looked like I was carrying a doorknob like in my pants. And I'd wear the high-waisted black yoga pants. And I swear to God, I couldn't wait for like a semi-hot dude to be next to me in yoga to be like, what is that chick stashing in her pants? And I want to be like, that's just a little bag of Doritos I keep just in case I get hypoglycemic. Like it was like a knob, you know, on my pants. And I just loved it. I love to see their eyes kind of slip to the side and be like, what is in her pants? And it was just, it's a big hernia, dude. <laughs> and out of that hernia, there's a little pooper, poops in a bag, super hot. I'm so hot, you know? It was just, yeah. It was. How has your, like, view of your body changed? So what did you think about your body back, like, when you were racing competitively, getting ready for Greece, like, I was a beast. I was like, dude, I'm, I could have won fitness competitions if I decided to go that route. I was like so vain about my muscles. I was so vain about my abs. I mean, it was still, a, it wasn't as lean as like some of the elites, but it was pretty badass. And I cared about every ab. I would look at my abdomen if it was, if I ate too much the night before, I would freak out. And now I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, if I lifted my shirt, you would see a million scars. And I, I feel like, isn't that ironic? You know, isn't that ironic that the thing I was most vain about has the most cuts in it? I mean, straight down the middle, across. I mean, I have a C-section scar from colon surgery. I have one vertical. I have laparoscopic scopes all over it. I used to have a colostomy. Huge. I mean, it's like, and I'm just like, I don't give a shit. I don't care if my arms get a little tubby if I eat a little I am so happy that I can eat without fear and then I could eat with joy and I could be a healthy eater you know like be okay if I had a cookie you know it's of like course it's, it's a vegan cookie but still <laughs> it's um it's it's like this beautiful reminder of your war yeah yeah like the war you went through yeah have you guys seen that movie room it's no, real. no, but uh, it was on Amazon, wasn't it? Like oh, an Amazon? it's intense, and it, yeah. it's, it's intense. There was she was captive. It's a true story, and and she was captive with her little boy, and she plans to set him free. And there's this whole escape route, and they had been living there up until he was seven years old in this room, one room, and that's all he knew. He did. She had to create a fun world for him in there, so he didn't know that a world existed outside of that room. And when she planned his escape route, she said to him in the movie, you're going to love it out there. And he goes, where? And she goes, the world. I cried for three days because it was, my world was the bathroom. And I cried so much after that movie because they were in that prison and he had never seen the world. And I was, I felt that. I was like, the like when she said to me, what are you going to do with your life? It felt that powerful, like in that movie. And three days, I think three days straight, I cried. I would come home crying. And even now, last week, I called my best friend, that Melissa, who gave me the, in the story, she gave me the first enema. I was in traffic going to work. This was only a week ago. And I started bawling right by on PCH, bumper to bumper. It was a two-hour commute that day to work. And I called Melissa and I was like, I'm in traffic. I'm in traffic. She's like, I'm sorry. I was like, it's awesome. I'm like, it's better than the bathroom. It's better than the dumbbell. I love it. 
There is an ocean next to me and I'm in bumper to bumper traffic going to a job. And I just ball. Sometimes that happens to me. It just does. And do you feel gratitude when that happens? Yeah. I think you had like, I mean, it's so beautiful to have, um, like you're having these releases of joy that I think were always within you, but they were held captive and they're so big and they're so powerful and that now you're open, you've unlocked yourself, you've opened up the cage and now it can flow. And how, and I, I experience a, a very similar thing. Sometimes I'm just crying gratitude and I love it and I'm not attached to it. I just kind of let it go and I feel it. And I say, mm -hmm. oh my God, because for so many years, I never cried. I never allowed myself to cry. And if I did, it was in my closet in the dark where nobody wow. could hear me. And it was like into like the sleeves of like my sweater or jacket. So nobody could hear that <gasps> like those, you know, and you might be familiar with. I let myself, but sometimes I'd hide it. Like the real painful days I'd try to hide them from Yeah, me, but. It's so beautiful. And yeah. oh my God, to, like this, this show is like, first of all, this is like epic. You're yeah. going to have to be, I think you're going to be a two-parter. Two <laughs> yeah. It's okay. This, two is be, <laughs> this is going to be a two-parter. It's you're, you're going to, you're going to flow a couple weeks, um, consecutive cause we won't leave our people hanging, but what an unbelievable story. And so, um, we've been going for over three hours. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? Um, where, <laughs> Where are you today? Obviously, this is serving a per this whole experience is has served is serving as a, a platform in your life and and how how is it serving you now? After I finished graduate school um, about fourteen months ago, um, we we started a, a business, a joint endeavor. We have a long term vision that uh, I knew we were working towards towards uh, back in. Uh, that kitchen at Woodland Hills in uh, May of 2013, and um, our our company's name is uh, business name's uh, Mindset Elevated, and um, I do uh, performance mental skills coaching um, for individuals, teams, groups uh, work in that capacity, and I I just took a full time position as a mental skills coach with that uh, organization where we met Ride to Recovery, which is now um, morphed into uh, our. Uh, become Project Hero, which um, serves all those other areas beyond just the bicycle. And, um, and then uh, Marianne um, has speaking um, yeah. and motivational or inspirational speaking, um, telling her story. And there's, there's a couple things that, that come towards in my direction or the way I fit into Mindset Elevated. I think the one story I have to share is with triathletes that are constantly doing what I did and, and which led to my demise is comparing myself to the best in the world. Um, being negative self-talk, you know, it, it didn't get me very far and it only got me in talk, you know, more toxic dialogue. I, all I taught myself was being toxic to myself. And so, you know, one talk that I do is to triathlete groups about, you know, really not, uh, doing that basically. Another talk is a talk about learning how to love yourself and what are some ways. And I, I've done this talk at a yoga studio. And the, the ways I teach people to or, sit, or guide is, look, you might not have the money to have a coach, but there are forums. There are other people that are probably going through the same exact thing, and those are free. 
And I, if you don't have the money, maybe that's step one is, is not being alone in it. Learning to love yourself is pretty hard for people to grasp that and understand. But if you're curious about it or if that message is coming to you, explore it. Explore it. If it's if it's church, maybe that's your medium. If it's if it is a medium, great. If it's you guys and meditation, yoga class, if it's Tommy, a mental skills coach, a therapist, but there are professionals out there that practice that and can teach you how to do that. I'm not going to teach you. I still have a lot of work to do there. But there are people that know how to do it and can can guide you. So I really talk about seeking that. If after you hear this, please seek that. You know, you, you sat through this talk, seek that for yourself. And that's that's one thing I talk about is when hope is on empty, we call it. This is what we call the talk. When hope is on empty, go to love. Love is what's going to fuel you. And I think there's a lot of people in the world that maybe their spouse has terminal cancer Maybe they've lost a job and they are feel like they're not marketable. Um, who knows what the doom, I like to call it the doom is, but there are ways out of the doom. And the first way is start to love yourself. doesn't help to punish yourself. And find that help through different avenues. Maybe it's first confiding in someone or, like I said, the forums or people like you, people like Tommy. And then lastly, the other layer that's coming to me recently, and I love it, this is one of my favorite ones, is my doctor and friends are sending me people that are about to get an ileostomy, uh, so people that have suffered from severe Crohn's, severe cancer, have to take out their large intestines, young girls usually, 25, 20, that are, think it's the worst thing in the world to have an ileostomy. And I've Skyped with one, and now I'm about to have another, and I don't, you know, I'm not charging these people. This is something that I feel like I need to give back. But um, my doctor is sending me people to talk to. And even if I want to take it to Skype and showing them, hey, it's it's not that gross. It's not that scary. And it's quite easy. And you can eat like this. And just giving them tips and stuff I had to learn through Guest and Check. And then the last avenue is uh, some companies that make these products are very interested in my story and just really helping people. Helping people find the right doctor, especially motility. No one wants to talk about poop. And so I've had a couple of people that I've helped with that. And when I, you know, I was, what was really beautiful is when I told the story at the yoga studio on Facebook that night, so many people reached out and they said, I'm in the doom. And one girl said, I'm in a prison. It was beautiful. She said, I've been bulimic all my life. And I heard your story and I got a life coach and it's been going really well. And the doom and the prison we put ourselves in, it's, if you want to heal their love first, love from every angle you can get it. If you can't love yourself, then take it from people. Take it from, get, let it come in. Whoever's giving it to you, don't push them away. Because I think people that are in, in, in the doom, and a lot of athletes in the doom, and, and everybody, feel like the weakest link. You don't want to be someone's weak link. You don't want to be a burden so they keep it to themselves. And that's not letting love in. That's not going to lead you to that path, you know, of, of healing. Because love is leading you. Love will, I promise, if there's one thing I can promise and I believe in deeply is, love will lead you towards healing. It might be a long road. It might be a short road. Mine was long. But I was rejecting it a lot, a lot of times. So recognize when love is coming in. Accept it. Believe that you're worth it and see where that ride takes you. 
I think that's a beautiful place to end this epic conversation. And I'm going to add one more thing, a quote from The Course in Miracles that says, every loving thought is true. Anything else, no matter, no matter the form it takes, is a cry for help and healing. Awesome. That was epic. You're amazing. All right, that's it. Marianne Leakis, crazy story. Hopelessness, doom, love, hope, and recovery. Amazing. As we all are, Marianne is still very much on her journey, but oh man, she is killing it in life these days. We're just so honored to have been the ones to share her story in such detail, and we are so honored to have these two soldiers of life in our world We'll be sharing our podcast extra with Marianne and Tommy on Patreon this week, along with some photos that Marianne so generously provided us. So if you are into getting more out of this convo and all other convos, consider becoming a monthly supporter of the show. Right now, we have over 35 patron-only extras and exclusives. Beej and I will be in LA this Saturday, December 16th, teaching yoga at the Farm Sanctuary Plant Powered Run. So let us know if you're heading over there. We'd love to see you. We've got our Amazon banner ad back in action. So visit the blog post for this episode for all the show notes, all the deets, and grab that link for all your Amazon purchases. Also, we've got a few more spots open for our high vibe retreats. So check out the show notes for these two night, three day yogi triathlete immersions here in gorgeous Carlsbad, California. These are the perfect immersions for couples, wife and wife, husband and husband, husband and wife, taking your relationship to the next level. What would your life look like if your relationship was up a level or three or 10. I can speak from experience. It is bliss. It is power. It is joy. And it is love on a level that I never knew possible. Thank you so much, you guys. I hope you can feel our love and support as you walk this warrior path that is the awake and ready life.